Hi, this is Un-American. My name's Ree. I'm the Un-American on the show, and I'm here with my co-host, Josie Martineau. Hey. The American. And Judy Fu, I don't know whether to call you an American or not. I mean, you're an American, an American but sure. your parents are immigrants. <laughs> yeah, I love how Josie is so confident about me being an American for sure. Yeah, I can answer that question for you. <laughs> you have an American passport. I have an American passport, Do and you? I was born in America. I, I oh, was born here. Okay. So I guess technically that makes me an American I was brought up here. I was raised here within the American culture. But do I feel totally American? <laughs> right. Does anybody? I don't know. Me. Certain <laughs> white people, I'm sure. Josie, do you feel fully American? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not anything else, so yes. Right. But you have a French last name. Well, Judy is a, a DP. Mostly. And an American. I am, I am an American DP, mostly. <laughs> A female DP. And I'm female. Do you know the statistics on that? How, like, um, the statistics on female DPs? Yeah. I believe the statistics are that there are 2% in Hollywood working as uh, female DPs. 2%? Yeah. 2% of the Hollywood population. I couldn't even drink my tea because of that. It's 98% male who are working. Last time I checked, I think it's increased. It's weird because I feel like everyone in my life is a wonderfully talented, constantly working, successful female DP. So the 2% thing to me is like, oh, I guess I know the entire percentage of that. Right. But And um, I always work with female DPs. Which is what makes you amazing. No, I, I mean, I discriminate against male DPs for sure. Yeah, I feel like we went to school with really talented female yeah. DPs and perhaps you didn't at your school. Okay. No, I understand what you're saying. They tried to make it diverse at my school, okay? Okay, so 2% of work, uh, working female DPs in Hollywood. I think that's uh, worse than I ever would have thought. Yeah. But it's growing, mm-hmm. and it's there. I think there's hope. I belong to a networking. I mean, I I don't even know if we call, we just. So when we when the female DPs of the world learned of this statistic, a bunch of us got together and organized. Which I love when women organize. Mm-hmm. They're so great at it. They, um, and we formed this community called the Two Percent. Um, we also call ourselves ICFC, so International Cinematographer. Uh, I'm going to F this up, but whatever. We call ourselves a 2%, and it's a group that's just here to... We're creating mentorship programs so that we can cr- keep bringing up more young up-and-coming DPs. Um, uh, you know, and we're, we're do- doing monthly salons so some, like a working DP can come and showcase their work and talk about how they lit something and, you know, and just like share our work with each other to yeah. create a support group, which I think is very lacking for, for women yeah. in general in every industry and as just groups of people who identify, like who share in their identities with right. each other. I think men can have such group, great, great group mentalities yeah. and Reasons to get together, like I think sports is the easiest example. It's an easy example, and I do think that this narrative, I think we're taught a lot about the narrative that we're being, that's presented to us, and I think there's so often that idea that, oh, women don't really get along. That's not true. I disagree with that completely. But it's it's often taught as if, and sometimes I'm going, 
Wait, was I told by a man that I don't get along with other women? I, I spent most of my time growing up in, in a group of, a clique of boys, but, and then I had a hard time with women, and then an older woman said to me, she says, the reason you have a hard time with women is because you hate yourself. And when you start loving yourself, you'll start liking women. Okay, to extend to that, I, to add to that, I think it's that, and we all, I think, have this internal patriarchy that's conditioned into us as little girls yes. growing up and it just yeah I mean if if we if if you as a woman hate yourself it's because of the patriarchy that's taught you to hate women yeah. I think I yeah. think that's kind of what it is and I know this sounds like whew. I saw a guy the other day with a shirt that said Saturday is for the boys I found it very confusing because I was like <laughs> I mean I feel like what Monday through Friday is for work Saturday is for the boys, so what's left? Sun your what? Sunday, I guess, is when you can hang out with No, it's Sunday's God's day. Right. That's so not, you're not even then yeah. you're just in church all day. So <laughs> And I, I don't know, I find it very concerning that somebody a grown man spends yeah. time <laughs> with boys. Fully adult, like late forties, early fifties. I do feel like this country well, I read a book called The um, The Infantile Society. It was written by a Swedish man. And it was definitely talked about Sweden, but it happens here too, about ad- adults being infantile, men and women, mm-hmm. that we don't want to grow up. Yeah. And we make our children responsible for what adults should be responsible for. This was sort of like you, you explain to a six-year-old that mom wants to find herself, so now you have to understand that you're living in two homes. Mm. That's giving too much responsibility to a six-year-old and not taking on adult responsibilities. Mm. And I, and I feel that a lot here. The refusal to... I mean, boys, why? What does that imply? It means, like, I'm going to be sort of let go of responsibility or whatever. Yeah. Responsibility is great. The more responsibility, the more freedom. Well, it's like that term wow. adulting <laughs> yeah. that I can't stand. It's like yeah. you're an adult. Just do your normal things. I think of Judy as being a very, very proper adult. Oh, no, sh- yes, I'm not talking. I wasn't, like, telling Judy. I really felt like you were speaking directly to me. Because <laughs> really? I don't know that I'm very good at being an adult. Oh, I no, think I feel really you it's really challenging are. for me. Every time I've worked with you, I'm like, wow, this woman's got it under control. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Well, I think I'm good at my job. Yes. But I don't think I'm good at, like... When are the taxes due? When are taxes... You know, like, shit like that. Like, when do I have to pay my rent? That stuff. That I, like, can... Like, real adult stuff that you need to attend to as an adult human being. Yes. I forget. But it's way more um, adult to know I sometimes forget those things than to ignore them. You guys want a tip? Okay. Yeah, please. You You look so so, bored. You're so confident right now. I know. I know. I hate it. (laughs) I'm so confident about this. I hate how to. Do you have an app or something? No. It's not. Well, I do have an app. Oh. But I'll give you all my tip for this because I used to call my mom crying before I went to the bank, before I filled up gas in my car, before I paid a bill because I, I want to cry. Like, I don't want to do it. I mean, I think I got married to avoid it. Uh-huh. That didn't help. <laughs> you still had to do it when yeah. you were married? Mm. Yeah, because mm. he wasn't responsible That's like that. That's disappointing because that was my plan. I know. Yeah. But, <laughs> so what I do, I spend 10 minutes per day. I don't think it has to be 10 minutes. You know, it could be less. But I spend 10 minutes per day 
just doing that stuff. The other day I filled out some paperwork online in relation to my student loans. Yeah. I felt like it was such a win for me to just even do that. I do not like to bookkeep. Yeah. I do not like not to like keep my receipts in order and call the Fed loan office. I don't want right. to deal with those things. Yeah. No, and I think like they're created thing. to create fear. Yeah. I think so. Can I cuss? Yeah. You've also made a, a film. You directed a film. Yeah. Called uh, The Lovely Rejects. Yes. Called The Lovely Rejects. And it did really well in festivals and you've been traveling about with it and yeah. I loved that film. Oh, thanks, Ree. You're my fan. In a way, it was something that I was, com- I, I was compelled to do as an artist, but also to earn my degree, <laughs> to yeah, earn my right. MFA at UCLA. Was the, was the feature... Was that your thesis? It was my thesis. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I went to uh, UCLA to get two MFAs, it, one in directing and cinematography. What you did that, did you silly. did you apply to both, or did you apply to one and then add on an extra? Yeah, so, I and I didn't know that this was a possibility, but, so when I applied to film school, I had really no concept of what a director or a cinematographer, like, that they're separate entities. Uh-huh. I really just, well, I was an artist. I was living in Berkeley, as an artist um, and a kindergarten teacher <laughs> after graduating from college. I'd gone to Berkeley to pursue journalism. I went there on a journal, like on a full journalism scholarship and just worked in radio and just wanted to like break news and, you know, yeah. be it's, a photojournalist or something like just right. travel the world and like tell real stories and whatever. And, yeah. then, and in doing the work, I started working in radio created my own radio, like I had a radio show called Women in the Arts, but women was spelled with a Y, so not an E, so it wasn't men, men didn't occupy the word, yeah, it was very Berkeley, but it was awesome and very cool, and I got to meet, like, it was a show, it was an interview format, in which, it was a 30-minute show in which I basically would bring in artists and talk to them about their work and any struggles and great story like just share stories and through that I was meeting a lot of these really interesting female filmmakers the seed was planted and I was working as an artist and then living in Berkeley as a teacher uh, as a kindergarten teacher and then had all these great stories with these kindergartners because they're weirdos and they see the world so differently and they're so funny and I think I just wanted to like write something and create something that was a film and I didn't like I didn't know what filmmaking was and I was interning and PAing on different things um but basically you know it was like I think I need to go to a film school or, or something like that yeah <laughs> uh, I need some help here and applied as a director not really knowing what the so when I went into you see when I got in as a directing fellow um in my in our first years uh the directing students and the cinematography students we have to all do the same job. Like, we oh, rotate right. job positions. So I had to learn how to sound mix, and I had to learn how to become a boom operator in my first year. We were learning how to load film. I was, like, touching cameras. I had to DP two projects in my first year and direct two projects and sound mix two projects and edit a project. In doing that, that whenever I took on the position as um, the DP for my classmates' projects, um, I think it just became clear that, that I was really comfortable in that role. And then just through my classmates' comments, I think everyone was generally impressed and appreciative of my work as a DP and then not quite as impressed with my work as a director. Okay. And I think my confidence as a DP 
grew, but also I just knew that it was actually where my comfort level laid. And, Mm. you know, as an artist, like the artwork that I did was very video and installation, like space lighting, space moods, video that like added to that. So I was kind of working in that realm already. You both sound old when you talk about like all these previous lives Mm. and you're not. I just want to say that, like, I look at your faces, and it's young, supple faces. (laughs) (laughs) I have really great moisturizer. But you've lived a lot. Yeah. That was what I was trying to say. Yeah. Tried to say it in a meaner way. (laughs) We can always count on you for that, so. Well, first off, we met in this, like, weird, what was supposed to be just a it was supposed to be directors and actors and the directors would direct actors in scenes and yeah. I was an actor in the class and you were a director yeah. in the class but then the teacher turned it into a no the directors are going to spend a lot of time acting, acting. Which, oh just out of we don't like to name people by their real names in yeah. this podcast mm-hmm. yeah but is this the person I think it is absolutely okay so we're going to call her Monica. Monica. Mm. Perfect. Yeah, so Monica. Because that's a special experience with method acting. Yes, it was very oh, really? particular. It was like, if you're not having a real like breakdown and cry yeah. moment, you're not doing it right. Well, right. that's the problem with like the generalizing of method acting. I think, I feel like acting is not just fucking crying. No. There's a lot. There's joy. There's a full spectrum of experiences that I think method work can help you access as well but we never focus on that it's always about the trauma yeah you know <laughs> one of my first method teachers i always say this we did an exercise I, I, I was the first day in her class i was 21 years old and i did the exercise and i cried and she looked at me and she says okay so you're pretty and you can cry no you don't have to do that let, let, let's get to work wow and i wanted to just say it because People think that method is all crying yes, because right. of teachers like Monica. That actors also like to cry. They feel like they're more important when they cry. <laughs> we ended up working on this project where you were the DP, and I was, of course, cast as a homeless person because <laughs> homeless or drug addict is really like my niche. That is right? your go-to, isn't yeah, it? It's not my go-to. It's people's go-to for, for me. They're for like, you, you look homeless. You look uh, like a heroin addict. So. There's like three roles for women. If you're not a crackhead prostitute, you're a you're a surviving beautiful prostitute, or yes. a, I don't you know. There's yeah. like yeah. not so or a homeless junkie, yeah, <laughs> whatever you mean. yeah exactly. Um, but and I, I don't fit into any of them because I'm a little bit too thick. Play homeless or or junkie? Which one? Both. <laughs> you're too healthy looking. You mean? <laughs> I, I look just sickly yeah. enough. You look to fit into that category. Just a touch anemic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's why they had a lot of arguments whether I was the leading woman or the girl, uh, the best friend. Because oh my, God, my face wow. is sort of like a leading woman, right? It's yeah. kind of can be pretty, but... You know, it's a little bit too much. I was just trying to tell Josie the other day that I think that I weigh less than Amy Schumer. I was getting anxiety because I was looking at an article. Yeah. Which I should have never looked at. Why is this even an article? Well, I just have to tell you, it came up on Facebook and it said, what does these female celebrities really weigh? Which is like, how do they know? Who the hell does this shit? 
it. I don't know, but I pressed on it to create some anxiety in my life. <laughs> and you always need anxiety. She's like reading the numbers out loud to me on the phone. <laughs> oh, you called Josie to talk to them? I think somebody just made these numbers up. I was so, I was about to eat lunch, and I thought, oh no, I, no. <laughs> oh, <thank God. laughs> Ah, oh, man. Right, I did right. eat lunch. I'm just, just going to let everybody know. And also, if the people who know I was struggling with anorexia for a long time, I did. we didn't go there. We had lunch. I had dinner. Still eating. And I don't count calories. I was telling Billy that at the gym right. today. Mm. Yeah, Billy counts calories. He was counting my calories for Billy me. Billy is just some guy she met today on the treadmill next to her. Yeah. Oh, I thought Billy story. was your trainer. <laughs> no. No, I don't have a trainer. Billy stood next to me at the treadmill and kept track of the calories on my treadmill. Out of courtesy? I think so. I think he thought he was being kind. Because wow. I stopped the workout and he says, 104. 100, and I said, Whoa. okay. Women in our country is constantly positioned to be a sexual object. Yeah. I think that's the, the biggest obstacle for yeah. women to be listened to in a room. We're just constantly sexualized. Yeah. So I agree. It's hard to like not care what you are yeah. supposed to look like. I don't care actually. I really and I think that in discovering my my love for and my passion for being a DP, I'm not supposed to be looked at. Not supposed to be looked at. I'm supposed to lead, and I'm supposed to be heard. And I'm supposed to be listened, but I don't need you to look at me. <laughs> Do you feel like you are heard? Does it make a difference? But I, I mean, oh. I don't know if this is a appropriate question, but is it different with? I mean, of course, everybody's different, but female directors, male directors, producers. Do mm-hmm. you feel like you're heard? Each project comes with its own set of people mm-hmm. who are putting it together. And I think it totally depends. I'm, I can tell when I'm interviewing for the job or like if based on how the line producer first initiates this, the meeting and introduces the project to me and, you know, sets up like my, the possibility of me maybe being um, the DP on the project. I think in those early stages at this point now, I can tell if the dynamic of that group and me and the way I like to work could work out. I mean, I feel like our collaboration works so well as a sim- symbiotic thing. Mm-hmm. Despite my sexism and misogyny. Yeah, Josie attitude. was offensive the yeah. whole time, but I was, like I said, I, I yeah. deal. Yeah, <laughs> right. I no, push I, through and just try to get the work done. Right. I'm just going to praise you a little bit. And Josie and I have talked about this and we work with you. The more freedom you have, the more fun the yeah. shots are. And you follow story really well. I know you to be an extremely sensitive DP mm-hmm. to story and what goes on. Yeah. And I'm sure there are male DPs that do that too, but I think you do it very naturally. There have been a couple of moments where we've been filming something and, and you'll bring up like, oh, shouldn't they be doing this? And I'm like, oh yeah. But no, but when we worked on um, that I don't even, the homeless, the movie where I played the homeless person. That's where I fell in love with you as a DP, and I was like, Uh, I have to work with her again. Ah, thanks, Josie. Yes. Well, that's how you were, that's how you were introduced to me. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I don't know if this woman will do it, but if she will. That was the introduction. You are. (laughs) Not sure if she'll be willing to do this, but. (laughs) Why not? I mean, this is Lonely Lil season one. Yeah. Mm. You and I barely knew each other. That's true. 
Because I had, as um, you know, I had done Lonely Lil season one, scrapped the whole season. Yeah, right. I had oh my just God. been an actor at that point. You had been an actor. Yeah. I was scrambling, not really sure who should direct. I didn't know. I brought Josie into a casting session quite haphazardly. You brought me in and then gave me the part right away and then were like, and can you hang out and help cast the rest of this? <laughs> <laughs> it was Wait, all a lot very quickly. So you were brought in, you read for a part. Yeah. She cast I, I, you in yeah, it right Yeah, yeah, so I read for the part, I left. She comes out, opens the door, and is like, I want you to play the part. Also, can you help cast the rest of this movie? <laughs> what happened there, Reed? I mean, it would be easy to say I was on my period, but... <laughs> That's not what happened, but it was a little bit more of a crisis than maybe. Because I was working with somebody who had sort of um, read the scripts throughout that process, another mm -hmm. comic, male comic. And I had talked about him directing the project, and he said, this is not my type of comedy, but I can understand how it would work. And I, at the time, was thought that was fine. And I thought he could direct it under those circumstances. Mm. That's not a good way to go into a project. I've learned a lot since then. So he was supposed to be there during the casting, and he said, well, I gotta go. Now I'm alone with these actors that terrify me, and I have to read with them, and I have to film, and yeah, and I don't want to do this. Yeah. Also, actors are the most awkward people in the world, usually, unless they're very good. You know you're not going to meet all good actors. You're going to meet everybody from a small town who just got here. And, <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> Oh, also you were casting the role of like a young girl. And so there, we ended up having to deal with some real stage moms who were oh, very God. intense. And I felt very much alone. But originally you, we were here working on something else and you handed me the two, uh, the two episodes that you thought maybe I would be good for. And I read them. And, and at first, as a screenwriter... I get handed a lot of stuff and and so my initial thought when she was like let me go grab these scripts I was like oh no and I read them and I could not stop laughing well you know learning to be a filmmaker for me at 29 and never having gone to film school it's been a learning curve failure is not that bad in general right however if you fail at parallel parking you can try again yes but if you fail at your first feature or whatever yeah. you need somebody to say here let me help you try again yeah. so it you know but i think that that's where it's a little different in terms of the experience with white men versus yeah. non-white men and my mom would always say she said people compliment your exterior because they don't know how to compliment the light in you. Yeah. And so they say, you have a nice shirt. Yeah. But she's like, what they're seeing is the joy in your eyes. Yeah. And I do think that's true. And I think sometimes I work on that too. It's yeah. like sometimes I'm just excited about seeing somebody yeah. and I go, nice shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really just, wow. Yeah. Whatever you're coming at me with yeah. is great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how to say, your energy is rocket yeah it's hard to comment on someone's like spirit right <laughs> or soul do you do that i think that well first i love giving compliments so yeah. i hear you i hear you um but i think i'm i, I in general i i'm pretty good at just saying that i love something yeah like, i love your shirt i feel like i forget to vocalize 
compliments, which is not necessarily the best thing. I don't do it on purpose. I'm not like withholding a compliment, but I do realize like, oh yeah, I didn't say anything to that person and maybe that would have been nice to say it out loud. And I've improved because Josie knows (laughs) that I used to compliment things I didn't like. Why? I know, and I think it's compensating even for thinking negatively. Yes. Like, I hate myself for judging it. Yeah. Mm. And then I go, Ray, you better work this out. Yeah. And I'm like, what a nice bracelet. (laughs) It's like, why on earth would you wear that? Yeah. 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 But I've gotten better. I've I've accepted that it's okay to be silent. I don't have to say anything if I don't like it. And the funny thing is, now I don't have those negative thoughts as often anymore. That may also be the Buddhism of Stardust. Yeah, she's getting real into Buddhism right Buddhism's now. Buddhism's cool. It's, it is cool. It's a pretty neat... I don't know. <laughs> no, it's neat. Yeah. I mean, I'm not getting that into no, it. No, I know. I feel like I could get into Buddhism on a surface level. I yeah. don't want to dive too deeply into Buddhism. Why not? Well, because then it just gets like... I grew up with religion, and then it just becomes too much of that for me, and I can't involve myself in something like that with too much religion yeah yeah are you religious Mm-mm. did you grow up did, are your parents religious no not really no no yeah. I, I mean yeah well we definitely don't um subscribe to any western religions at okay. all mm-hmm. which was weird growing up i think because you know they were immigrants and i already felt like an an outsider and an other and i think you know, we 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 lived everywhere you go. Everyone kind of church is a big thing for lots of families. So yeah, going America to church yes. is a big social event. Yeah, it's a social thing, and I think yeah, like I grew up feeling a little left out because mm. I didn't belong to a church. Yeah, and oh, wow. I remember uh, at a certain age, I think I was nine. I asked my mom, like, "Mom, do we believe in God?" And she was like. Then I asked her why we didn't go to church. And she said, why would we go to church? And then I said, to pray to God. And she said, you could do that anywhere. I was just like, well, my friends go to church. Can I go to church with them? And she said, no. (laughs) I was like, well... What if they picked, like, what if their mom picked me? Like, I just was trying to make this, create a setup where she would have to do nothing yeah. at all. And I just could be allowed to, like, fit in, please. Right. I just wanted to right. be a Christian. <laughs> all the other fancy. Christianity preaches this message of, like, we're the other and we're rejected because we're, like, sacrificing for God and for this religion and everything. Oh. And it's like, oh, no. They're, like, you're not as other as you think. In this country, right. you are not. I mean, yeah. I experienced it in college. I felt uh, a little bit outside because I didn't understand religion. I'm not saying that all the college kids were going to church every Sunday. That's not really what happened. But I certainly felt that I was other because I didn't, I couldn't quote the Bible. Right. I didn't know, you know, Sweden is a Protestant country, but I did not grow up understand i mean i went to church when somebody got baptized or died right you know yeah. or got married, or married yeah. yeah but felt that it was a secret society i very much did feel that yeah. yeah and that there was a judgment on me because i didn't understand the bible and i didn't understand the important importance and i did and i think it's that um yeah i did very much felt that mm-hmm. even in college when people were not really spending time in church but i just knew that and, like, one man who was trying to sleep with me said he wanted his wife to be virgin. and So creepy. And it was, like, I felt that there was a whole 
life going on that I was like, what? My hair is blonde. In college, it was dark. My roommate said to me in college, she says, you know, um, when you came here, I was expecting like a beautiful, tall, blonde, Swedish bikini model. But then I was so relieved because it was you. And uh, since then, I've really tried to live up to her. (laughs) Do you feel like you believe in anything now? Do you have any? You meditate. I do. I do meditate. Um, And I I do think that I believe in a lot of Buddhist principles. I think that um, as, you know, my parents grew up in Asia, so I think that is the dominant thing there. And so there's a bit of, like, a Confucius Buddhist family-oriented, believe-in-your-ancestor spiritual thing that I grew up with, with my family. My family just comes from a legacy of war and colonialism. Um, you know, we're Vietnamese, and Vietnam was colonized for over 2,000 years by China and other countries nearby, and then eventually by France forever, you know. And anyway, like, I just think that's my family's legacy. And so there's a lot of, like, believing in the, like, praying to our ancestors. I mean, there's just so much of um, our history that was torn apart by just war. So my parents definitely, like, we have, like, an altar, and we pray to our ancestors a lot. And, um, you know, there's, like, certain particular dates on the lunar calendar, like, lunar year calendar cycle that my, um, that represent certain things to my family that I just cannot even describe to you necessarily right now Mm -hmm. because I don't think my parents, like, it wasn't religious for them. Like, they didn't force it on us as children. Like, they weren't like, when you grow up and have a family, you're going to have an altar in your home for your ancestors. Like, it was literally just my parents. There's, like, a built-in spiritual aspect to it. Right. We, are, we are praying to them. We believe our spirits are around mm. and, you know, and, like, needing rest. And, you know, my dad sometimes talks to the his, like, dead uncles that he lost during the war. And, you know, there's just something weird and... I think it's a war thing. Maybe they're just crazy from war and just have trauma. I don't know. It's not a formal religion. If you ask a Swede if they believe in anything, they'll deny it. Absolutely. Very practical people. No, of course not. Right. But act and faith. I feel like in this country, we really need God and religion just to sort of justify our quest for, like, money and and what the American dream and power it's like we've got to find a way to make it all okay really and it's almost like if you're not seeing like the fruits of whatever all this abundance in your life then you don't have a good relationship with God I really like a lot of indigenous philosophy I hold on to that a lot and I think that it really, like, I'm very attached to their concepts of just as long as the sun shows up every morning and then the moon shows up every night and we have our earth and we have running water, life is good. Yeah. And we need nothing else. We have each other. We need nothing else. I personally do want a new car right yeah. now. Oh, I so don't do have I. AC and it was so hot driving here, you mm. guys. <laughs> I feel like we live in a time where people are trying to prove that they're getting places on their own. And I don't think that's true. You didn't get anywhere by yourself. Mm. Most things in our lives we got through other people. And if we think we got them by ourselves, we're ungrateful fucks. But we want to believe we're God. I love when Swedes talk about God. (laughs) Uh, This has been so nice. um, Why don't you tell us about something you've shot? Other than Lonely Lil. I mean, everybody knows about Lonely Lil. Oh, yeah. But definitely watch Lonely Lil. Yeah, Lonely Lil is the best thing ever. There's... I I just recently... um, 
this project that uh, I filmed for about two years is on HBO. So I think that's kind of the the new exciting one. It's a little depressing and dark. Is this the abortion? Uh, it's the piece? abortion piece. It's a film about um, about uh, women in the state of Missouri and how the state of Missouri treats their reproductive rights. So we spent about two and a half years traveling to Missouri and meeting a bunch of women from all up and down, all corners of Missouri, rural to inner, like to cities, and um, just met women who were pro, who were in between, and who were anti. Um, so basically this documentary explores all of that, that we examine all the different types of women that can exist in a state in Missouri. It, it, I mean, they represent America. Can I start over? Yes, do. <laughs> yeah. A film that I would love everyone to watch is called Abortion, Stories Women Tell. It's a really important film. It's a project I was a part of for about two years. It's a really, really lovely film. I was really proud to be a part of it, and it's just something that's available to watch on HBO right now, so I think that's the easiest one to Perfect. plug. Perfect. Awesome. I'm going yeah. to watch it tonight. That being said, um, you can email us. Unamericanpod at gmail.com. Is that correct? That's correct. You got it right. Perfect. Bye. Bye. Bye.